Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Irish Times Politics Podcast. I'm Pat Leahy, sitting in for Hugh Linehan this morning and I'm joined by a trio of my colleagues, Michael O'Regan, our parliamentary correspondent, Sarah Barden, political reporter, and Fia Kelly, our political correspondent. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. This morning we're going to take reaction to the Minister for Housing, Simon Coveney's plan to cap rent increases in his package of rent measures unveiled yesterday and as the political year draws to a close we'll assess Enda Kenny's continued leadership of Fine Gael and we look back at six months of the new politics of the 32nd Dáil. Michael, you have been one of the most trenchant critics of the new politics. Have you changed your mind as the season has come upon us? Not not remotely, Pat. In fact, I've become more entrenched in my view. Look at the uh, housing announcement yesterday. Uh, and here we have a situation where, under the new politics, Fianna Fáil is supposed to underpin government policy. One, one would have presumed on such an important issue they would have spoken to each other. They clearly didn't. Uh, Fianna Fáil say they're now against this attempt to curb the high rate of uh, rents in this country and indeed deal with homelessness. Uh, so, without Fianna Fáil's assistance, of course, the government can't get this issue through. And to play politics with uh, high rents and with homelessness is a political system without conscience. Is this, is this playing politics or is this simply part of a process of coming at policy that doesn't work in the way when a government has uh, a big majority, as the last government did, where edicts were simply handed down from the high table of cabinet and railroaded through parliament by, uh, by the whip system. Is there anything to be said for a system that is more deliberative, that hears other voices, or is it simply political jockeying today? It's political jockeying, because if, if you had a new politics whereby there was a consensus yeah, for instance, you'd be looking forward to the um, committee and the, and the water charges reaching some kind of consensus. It won't. It'll break down entirely on political lines. Uh, if 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 what it is is it's this government, Fine Gael, delighted to be in government, and the Independent Alliance delighted to be in government. Euphina Fall watching and waiting uh, to pull the plug on this government, uh, wondering when they should do it, uh, hoping perhaps that it might fall asunder themselves. In any system, Pat, the executive must govern. Whether they do it efficiently or not is a matter for the voters to decide. Uh, The executive governs, the parliament considers legislation and other matters. What you have now is uh, an appalling, uh, um, bogus arrangement uh, with all the political parties looking to their own advantage rather than parking politics at the door, which has to happen if you have no politics. It won't happen. Fiuk, you have a long piece uh, today on how this deal was uh, was put together. To what extent uh, was Simon Coveney, the minister responsible, 
constrained by what Michael talks about there, the, the, the necessity to get it through, uh, to get it through the doll that, they, uh, that the government doesn't have a majority in. To what extent is his preferred policies or have his prefer- preferred policies in this area been weakened by the political realities? In one way, it, it has been weakened, but in, a, in another way, it actually made the entire thing possible because... Um, you know, he would have to, to to take into account what Fianna Fáil was going to do. So there was some level of tic-tacking, but I don't think the detail was passed on. So there was a broad outline to Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin of this is what we're going to do. There will be something along these lines. But the idea of, you know, the precise thresholds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, weren't passed on. But in one way, he, he, this what he, what he has done with this, you know, inter, intervention in the rental market is anathema to Fine Gael thinking, really. Like, a lot of people around that cabinet table wouldn't be that uh, fond of it as an idea. They wouldn't have any great love for it. But in Is the knowledge... because of the idea of rent of, control? Yeah, rent control. It's just the idea of rent control. The mechanics of it, they could take or leave it. But the, the principle of interfering in a market and introducing rent controls, they did not like. But because they were aware that if they didn't do something, the DAW would foist a policy of this nature upon the government, they realised they had to do something. So Michael Noonan said, look, I don't like this, I don't really agree with it, but if we don't do it, this new politics, as Michael said, this doll, which makes the decisions rather than the executive, will impose a solution on us that will be even worse than this. So in a way, Simon Coveney was constrained by this new way of doing things, but it also allowed him... uh, a stronger, or gave him a stronger bargaining hand with his own colleagues. It sounds, Sarah, from what Felix says, that Simon Coveney has played this quite politically astutely within the confines he has faced with, has he? Um, I don't think so, actually. I think Fiac is right. I mean, Fine Gael have been completely opposed to the idea of rent control, but considering the situation and the doll that they face, they knew they were in a position where they had to impose some form of rent certainty. Um, on Monday night, uh, Simon Coveney contacted Fianna Fáil's housing spokesman, spokesman Barry Kane and Sinn Féin's spokesman uh, on housing, Ono Brint, to give them the broad outline of what the package would include in the same way that the media were briefed. Um, but they didn't know the exact detail of it. Now, considering how Fianna Gael and Simon Coveney require the assistance of Fianna Fáil in this, to get this uh, rent package over the line, uh, considering the absolute necessity that Fianna Fáil support Fine Gael in their endeavours. Um, the fact that he only contacted them on Monday night, mere hours before he brought it to the Cabinet, to give them what was the same outline that he gave to the Sinn Féin party probably shows a little bit of political naiveness on um, on Simon Coveney's part because, uh, as we saw in the run-up to the budget, Dara Caleri, um, the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on public expenditure and reform, and Michael McGrath, their finance spokesperson, were in constant contact with the Minister for Finance, Michael Noonan, and uh, the Minister for Public Expenditure, uh, Pascal Dunahoo, mean, meaning that there was a sort, of, uh, a sort of easy route to getting the budget passed. There was no big drama, really, apart from the, the five-euro increase in the pension which was sort of a fake fight that that they had to stage to ensure that the two parties kept their distance. On this instance, um, Co- Simon Coveney, as FIAC has reported this morning, uh, so determined to keep the package to uh, such a small group of people to avoid it being leaked to the newspapers, didn't brief some of his cabinet colleagues. Leo Radcar being quoted in this, mor- in this morning's papers as being particularly aggrieved that he wasn't consulted and indeed he didn't consult the Fianna Fáil party. So, you know, I, I actually, it was a bit of a, an unwise move personally, I think, from, from Simon Coveney. I can't, I, I can't, I think Sarah's right, I, I was surprised myself that there wasn't a kind of higher level of 
consultation on on this particular policy. But I would be surprised if there was no consideration that, like, the political reality is Fianna Fáil have to be get a pound of flesh on this. They can't just go, this is a wonderful policy, Simon, thank you very much. Here, it's going through the doll and let's all go on our Christmas holidays. They have to be seen to extract a price for allowing this through. So, like, at the press conference yesterday, he was asked the question, have you left yourself some wriggle room because, you know, you're going to have to give a, give a bit away here if you want Fianna Fáil to support us, and he seemed to suggest that he, he hadn't, but I would be surprised if there wasn't some level of consideration in government that, look, We'll go to 4%, knowing that we might have to come back to, to 3 because Fianna Fáil would say, we wanted you to come back to 2 Yeah, but probably that was a little bit of a risky gamble mm. by Simon Coveney because it now seems that the 4%, um, well, it's it, it's gone by all mm. by all accounts. But what it will become now is the difficulty because today Barry Cowan is meeting Ona Brin for them to put together joint amendments to this proposed legislation. Um, so if Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil are now in cahoots together as to what they're going to do next, that's a very difficult and tricky situation for si- for Simon Coveney. And you know, normally in these circumstances it goes above the ministerial heads and it goes above the party spokespeople and the Taoiseach and Micheál Martin would, would sit down and trash these various issues out. But the first that the Taoiseach knew of the detail was the Cabinet Subcommittee um, when they met on Monday night and as Fiac reports this morning, he had a a range of questions for Simon Coveney at that meeting this morning. The same questions that Fianna Fáil are now asking as to why it's been limited to Dublin and Cork and why other uh, counties and cities who are facing the exact same struggles as Dublin and, uh, Dublin and Cork are, why they're not receiving the same relief. Could it be, Michael, that Simon Coveney doesn't trust his colleagues in Cabinet any more than he trusts Fianna Fáil? I think that's probably very true, Pat, but I think there may be more to this, actually, than uh, the actual issue. I think this could be Simon Coveney asserting himself for the leadership struggle that's inevitably coming down the road. And here you have a Fine Gael minister deciding to uh, uh, deal with this particular issue, uh, perhaps with a minimum of consultation. Uh, No bad thing in my view, actually. Governments must government. And here you have Leo, of course, who's the darling of the media and who's even going to present apparently a late night uh, uh, show on RT Radio. Rumour has it he wants to present the podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch it if I were you, Pat. Uh, and here you, you, you have Simon, Simon, who is, I, I suppose... We, we start him off on something relatively low profile on indeed, RTE before... Precisely, uh, yeah. precisely before coming here. And here you have uh, Simon, who's also very much in the race, asserting himself politically. I think it may have something to do with that. But uh, I... I uh, um, Fiuk is right, you see. Fianna Fáil will look for his pound of flesh on any issue that the government presents. But uh, this is why new politics won't work. I mean, somebody said to me recently that, uh, you know, the, the best government arguably in the history of the state was the Lamas-led governments, minority governments in the 1960s. But Lamas had a majority because he had a few independents on side. So uh, uh, when he presented something to the Dáil, he knew he could get it through the Dáil because he had those independents who had eff- effectively done constituency deals with him on side. Uh, now we have a, uh, an absolutely farcical situation where the government, it appears, can't move without Fianna Fáil on side. And this is why I, I disagree, actually, uh, on this with Sarah. I think, actually, it shows a bit of political clout and um, professionalism, for the want of a better word, on the part of Simon Coveney. How so? Uh, in, in, in the sense that something has to be done with the spiralling costs of rents 
uh, he decides to go ahead and pretty well introduce it with a minimum of consultation, not least among his cabinet colleagues. Mm. And I think that shows... Do you approve of, of a minimum of consultation? I, I, I think yeah. in some circumstances, it, it, yes. There's this smack of firm yes. government yes, about I, it. I, I, actually, I, I remember the late John Healy of this parish telling me how Dunaco Mali, for instance, a half century ago, uh, introduced free education. Effectively, himself and Sean Lamas got together and introduced it because... Uh, that the Department of Finance at the time would have opposed it on the grounds of costs and some of his more conservative colleagues within the Cabinet would have opposed it. So what he effectively did uh, on a Saturday afternoon, he went along to Dunlera to address a very distinguished meeting of the National Union of Journalists and he announced free education. Uh, on a Saturday afternoon, by Tuesday, it was a fait accompli. Sometimes ministers and the Taoiseach of the day have to make decisions with a minimum of consultation to get things done. But the constitutional reality is that they have to get parliamentary approval for them. And in a situation where, whether we like it or not, the government doesn't have a majority in uh, in, in Parliament, it yeah. must go about the politics. I mean, there's... there's That's I suppose there's, there's two strands of what we're talking about here, isn't there? There's the wisdom of the policy... And there's the political mechanics of getting it through. Yeah, that's, that's true. But is Fianna Fáil going to bring down this government uh, on an issue no. where the government of the day is trying to do something to assist people who are paying exorbitant but they rents? Aren't, they aren't talking about bringing down the government on rent proposals. But, but, they're, but, they're trying but to alter it Sarah, to make if, it a if, better package. If they pursue this, Sarah, and if Simon Coveney holds the line, which I hope he does... And if the Taoiseach and his cabinet uh, uh, colleagues uh, uh, back Simon Coveney, Fianna Fáil will be, politically speaking, boxed into a corner. Fianna, the government's not going to fall on this, no. is it? No, it's not. Uh, which, I, it, which means, actually, that if the government holds firm on this, Fianna Fáil may be humiliated. No bad thing. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a reality. I think that there, there is a question about how, to what level of brinkmanship is Simon Coveney willing to, to bring this, you know? Um... Is he willing to call Fianna Fáil's bluff? Does he believe that they're actually going to bring down the government on an issue like this? Probably not. But I think the nature of his character is that he would probably like to seek some sort of approval from them for what he's trying to do. I don't think he'll engage in that level of brinkmanship. I think he will to a certain extent, but I don't think that he will really try and face them down. It's not going to fall. They either back it. Or they don't, and he needs yeah, their, like, he they, needs they, their backing. He needs to, their backing, and if you look, like, they, 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 the they, they don't, they don't. I, I, Sarah will be able to say this better than I did because she was uh, speaking to people in the party yesterday. But I don't get the sense that Fianna Fáil are opposed to the policy as a whole; that they think it's an awful idea and they want it scrap change. I think they're looking for minor amendments, and I think it's politics. Really, they have to get their pound of the flesh. It's like they helped the boy scheme in the budget. They said they, they, they didn't agree with it but they wanted some amendments to it, so they got their amendments to it, and then they kind of said, oh, well, this is, isn't what we do, but for the sake of the, the, the government and the sake of you know stability, we'll let this pass. So I think this is just politics. That's what's going on at the moment, that they have to be seen to get something, and I think everybody really knows that, you know. Sarah, the Fianna Fáil objections, just more about politics than about policy? Um, no, I think Fiac is right. Their 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 uh, opposition to the rental package isn't as uh, you know as maybe as strong as probably some would believe, but they're actually they're on the same page as every other political party in the Dáil apart from Fine Gael. I mean, what Fianna Fáil are seeking is a reduction in the four percent rent cap because. The reality is that with the rental package that was announced by Simon Coveney yesterday, he has given landlords carte blanche to increase their rent rent 
uh, rental prices by 4% every year for the next three but years. Wasn't that happening anyway for the not last to, few uh, years? Not to... Uh, not to the same extent. Obviously, there are reports where some rental properties were increasing exorbitantly up I mean, to the, 20 the average 30%. increase in rents is what, about 10% a year. There is, there is a balance to be struck as well, and I do have some sympathy with the argument that the ideal level of inflation is 2%. So if you're linked to C- C- CPI, then you know, you're looking at a 10%, 2% increase year, year on year. To make it attractive for investors to come in and start building developments that are exclusively for rent or to get in and build an apartment block, knowing that they'll have a yield on that block of rental income, then you have to make it some way attractive. So I, I can understand the argument of what they were trying to do, which is to say, look, ideally it'd be 2%, but to uh, encourage the market, we'll put it at 4 to make sure we get inward investment and increase supply. Because everybody agrees, as I think another thing everybody agrees in the, in the doll is that supply is the big issue. And all this stuff is really a sticking plaster until we get more housing units on stream, that this policy in itself is only going to last three years. Does this help bring more policy, uh, more housing units on stream or not? It's hard to see how it does. No, they it say it but does. it was never attempted. It was never, it was never designed to do so. It was designed to um, bring some stability to the rental market. And Simon Coveney had all the best intentions in the world and has been reported extensively. This isn't the plan that he initially came up with. He met, was met with huge resistance from the Minister for Finance and the Minister of Public Expenditure and Reform and was forced to redraw what he had already envisaged. Are you impressed by Simon Coveney, Michael? Uh, not just in this, but, I mean, he's taken on the troublesome and politically charged portfolio of housing, uh, I suppose the argument that uh, might be made for him is that uh, you know he's he's taken on a difficult job. He's he's making attempts to try and uh, to try and improve the situation for an awful lot of people who are in very difficult circumstances. Uh, you, you think that's leadership material? I, I do. I, I I think he's a substantial politician, and I, I think he's uh, he's he's probably behind Leo in terms of public appeal, you know, uh, um, Leo has become a bit of a superstar in, in ways. Uh, 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 anyone who came out of the Department of Health, as he, as, as Leo Varadkar did, and, uh, you know, had his political reputation intact, it, it was quite an achievement. Look at, look at James Wright, look at Mary Harney in the past. Uh, people forget, of course, that Michal Martin was in that department. But I, I, I think... I wouldn't underestimate Coveney. He's, he's probably the most difficult, in many ways, the most difficult job in the cabinet because he has to make, he has to have some level of achievement at the end of it all on mm. homelessness. So he, he's a much more difficult portfolio than Leo has. And uh, I wouldn't underestimate him at all in terms of the leadership. Uh, at the end of the day, of course, Fine Gael TDs will uh, look at what face on the poster will help me get re-elected. Uh, so uh, at the moment it's Leo, but uh, I, I certainly wouldn't re- underestimate Coveney. I, I think he's, I think he's quite a competent and uh, uh, politician. He's also, I think, a possible future leader. I don't entirely go along with the consensus that Leo's home and dry when Enda eventually decides to stand down. Fieg, uh, I I get the sense that. Um, I agree with Michael that uh, that Leo is probably in the driving seat in this kind of. Slow bicycle yeah. race to the uh, to the leadership, uh, but Coveney's stock has probably risen this year more than Varadkar's, has it? I think so. I think just by dint of the fact that, as you say, he took on a difficult portfolio, sought it out, sought out a challenge, and wanted to work towards bringing in some solutions to what is the biggest issue facing the country. Like I, I think, and his idea is that 
his stock will rise as he comes to solutions to these problems. So he doesn't see it, uh, his leadership uh, campaign as it is, it's not really on yet, as, you know, schmoozing backbenchers, going to constituency events. But you have to do that. But he sees his policies and his efforts at solving the House of the Crisis as his main calling card, that when the time comes, people will acknowledge that he is a substantial politician, as Michael says, who gets things done and is not a media darling who schmoozes people and promises them jobs. I think in that way, his stock... The implication is being that his, that his rival, rival is, not. is all... And like, I, think, I think it's interesting that that's starting to bubble to the surface somewhat, that, that kind of bit of a clash it wasn't a clash really that's over, overstating it but the difference of opinion between the two of them at cabinet yesterday kind of spoke to that to a certain extent that Varadkar said you know I wasn't consulted on this my department is a big landlord we pay millions in rents and it, 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 then Simon went round the table and addressed the concerns of other ministers then came back to Varadkar and said well the reason we kept it so tight is because he didn't want it leaking and you know it just <laughs> hung in the air quite for a couple of seconds and I don't think it was lost on anybody there there was a slight dig at you know you and your media profile I'm getting the work done you know so I think his stock has risen I do think at the moment Varadkar is ahead within the parliamentary party but as Michael said it's all about who the TDs think will get them elected and if the public perception towards Varadkar changes which is not impossible like if he's seen as just being kind of the guy who goes on RT Radio and is more interested in his profile than his podcast more interested in his own profile than actually solving problems then that will filter through the TDs and it possibly could change I think the longer this you know slow bicycle race you put it goes on the better it is for Coveney that if Kenny sticks around Faradka will have to have something to show for his year and a half or two years in the department whereas Coveney probably will have something to show he will have at least effort if not results is this the opening shot in the Coveney campaign then, Sarah? Yeah, I think so. I think um, Simon Coveney is hanging his hat on solving or at least making a good L dig at it solving the housing crisis and trying to solve the debacle that is water charges as well. And he is hoping that if he can make a, a damn good stab at that, that his parliamentary party will look at him as sort of a leading figure and perhaps somebody to, to take over from Enda Kenny. But just to give it, just to, to give an example, a, a TD told me a story recently about how he brought up a bunch of councillors from his constituency. And they were in the doll bar um, being wined and dined. And uh, the TD text... Uh, a number of government ministers to say said councillors are in um, are in the bar if you'd like to come in and shake their hands and within minutes the minister for social protection arrived Mr. Bracker <laughs> to to shake his shake hands and to pose for photographs. The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, uh, followed suit pretty rapidly, um, and. The Minister for Housing didn't didn't come in, but they did happen to bump into him on the corridor. And uh, one of the councillors uh, raised an issue with regards to something that was going on in their constituency um, with regards to housing. And uh, the Minister for Housing wasn't best pleased that this was he was being confronted with this in, in the corridor. It, it, it shows, I suppose, the manner in which both men are going to um, are going to carry out this leadership battle. Um, Simon Coveney wants to be based on substance. Leo Varadkar is all about the style. But Michael is right. I mean, I personally, I think that Simon Coveney stands a damn good chance at winning the Fine Gael leadership. And I don't, I th- I don't think we should all yeah. assume that Leo Varadkar has it home and host. But what I will say is, is that for friends of mine who have little or no interest in politics whatsoever they believe that Leo Varadkar is who are these people? <laughs> everyone I know <laughs> um, 
they loyal think, listeners to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they think that Leo Varadkar is a celebrity. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 isn't. Uh, it doesn't matter what portfolio is. It doesn't matter what he does in either of uh, of the portfolios that he served in the past number of years. To them, he is a celebrity. He is the person that they want to get their picture taken with. He's the person they ask me about when I go out home for for dinner or for a night out with my mates. They couldn't tell you who Simon Coveney is, and they they certainly couldn't tell they you. They don't who necessarily have a vote in the Fine Gael leadership do contest, but they do have a vote in the general election. And yeah. every person who has a vote in the Fine Gael leadership contest, as Michael says, will think, think about that poster on whatever date in the in the near future that will be facing into a general election. Picturing that poster with Fine Gael's logo, would they rather see Leo Varadkar, who is a celebrity to many, mm-hmm. or Simon Coveney? or Pascal Donahue, or Francis Fitzgerald, or Simon Harris. And the reality is, I'd say that 60% of them would say they prefer Leo Varadkar to be there. The thing is, like, you know, our job as political journalists is to talk about these things endlessly, leadership contests and who may be up, who may be down. But it all depends on the circumstance at the time. Like, we don't have to look too far for an example of pre-assumed, uh, you know, outcomes where it's proved to be false. Like, a year ago, David Cameron was heading towards an EU referendum. He was grooming his successor, George Osborne, to take over. In a year or two, Osborne was very good at working the party at a level of the parliamentary party, you know, being seen in the tea rooms, schmoozing people. Theresa May, who was now the Prime Minister, shunned that deliberately, did not engage in that type of behaviour. She decided that she was a, po- a politician of substance, did not have a caucus within the parliamentary party. And then, as the circumstances changed, she became the choice for the party because that's they want. That's what they wanted. So, whereas... It is all, it, of course, you have to groom the grassroots and, you know, get out there and meet them. The circumstances of a leadership campaign can change what people thought dramatically. Like that week or what would probably be two or three weeks, I think the Fine Gael thing is like things can change quite quickly in the campaign. It depends on the context, I guess, yes. in which that uh, contest uh, takes place. Um, we we sat. Um, Michael, you weren't here, but myself and Sarah and Fiak and several bottles of Heineken sat here uh, in this studio on the night that the government was uh, was formed, and uh, uh, recording and an, our impromptu analysis uh, of this great event. And at, I think at that stage. We wouldn't, while we were uh, characteristically cautious in our uh, predictions, uh, even after uh, the the Heineken, I think none of us thought that uh, we would get to Christmas with the government looking as settled uh, as it does now. And that's a roundabout way, I suppose, of getting around to this idea of the context of the the next Fine Gael leadership campaign takes place in. The government seems to be reasonably settled now. You wouldn't bet against it still being there next summer. It's very settled. Um, the late Basil Chope, who was a very distinguished academic and political commentator, used to say, never underestimate the lure of the well-upholstered rear seat of a ministerial Mercedes. They don't have Mercedes anymore, but they have quite nice cars for which they get generous expenses and which the, and the state provides them with drivers. It's not a bad job being a minister. It's a very good job being a Taoiseach. You have a private jet, you have a state car and all that. So I I think this government could last uh, longer than, as you said, Pat, most of us thought that it was very fragile uh, when it was formed. The other thing here, of course, is that the longer it lasts, the better for Mr Kenny. I I think Enda Kenny is planning to go on until the summer of 2018. 
uh, he was ask, uh, answering questions in the Daw last week on the Pope's visit, and he mentioned rather casually but quite significantly that uh, he'd love to see the Pope going to knock, as Pope John Paul did in 1979. Now, knock, of course, in his Mayo constituency, uh, very good exit for a Taoiseach. August of 2018, the man who, in fairness to him, uh, made a, a very historically defining speech in the Dáil on uh, uh, the role of the church, the hypocrisy of the church in dealing with child abuse. And then he welcomes the Pope to his home constituency, as Jack Lynch, by the way, uh, tried to do in 1979, didn't succeed. I think Mr. Kenny is planning to stay on until the summer of 2018. And the more settled the government is, the better for him. And, of course, it'll leave Leo and Simon and Francis, maybe Pascal even, a bit unnerved, but Enda Kenny doesn't care about that. Sarah, you, you, you were probably not in knock to see the Pope in 1979. <laughs> I'm uh, twinkle in my but, mother's eye. Um, uh, do you think Mr. Kenny can go on that long? Uh, I think Michael is right in that he might want to, but will he go on that long? Doesn't he have to get over next summer? Well, I remember uh, not so long ago having to contact every Fine Gael TD in, uh, in, in Dollar and ask them when they think the Taoiseach would be gone. And they all said that he would be gone by the end of the year. This is the end of the year and yeah. he's still sitting quite no firmly in, in no his seat. Uh, and I think the Irish Times poll helped him last week. He saw his satisfaction uh, rating increase for the first time. Quite, quite a jump. He's now more popular than so, he was so, so, so since said to be last 2012. Like the, the party was proving a drag on the Taoiseach's popularity. <laughs> 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 the most popular he's been since 2012. I mean, that's a significant yeah. feat um, for, for the Taoiseach. And the other side of this, this whole argument is that people seem to like this zombie government. I mean, the government has seen its satisfaction rating increase. Um, Fine Gael have stayed for, firm at 27% and the Taoiseach, as I said, has seen his satisfaction rating um, increase. So I suppose, well, our job is to look at uh, all of the risks that may potentially um, befall the government and analyse, you know, um, what potentially could bring down this government and what could trip them up into a general election. The manner in which the last six months have shown that their battles have been somewhat tiny. Can we get a free vote? Um, mm. The Independent Alliance asking, can we get a free vote and an Adal mo- motion? Um, the budget sailing through with little little argument in public. The rental strategy, no doubt, being um, still being passed by Friday uh, and all into, into the Janet next week, um, regardless of the, I suppose, the arguments that are underway between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I, I think, I don't know if it'll last until 2018, as Michael is, is predicting, but I do think we're going to get another budget out of this um, out of this current government. Um, and I think the Taoiseach will still be Taoiseach at that point. The, the, of the three components of this government, if you like, Fianna Fáil, uh, on the outside are semi-detached. Fine Gael and the independents in government uh, on the inside. They all judge it, I think, to be in their interests to continue, at least uh, for the medium term. But once you go beyond next year's mm. budget, mm. If, it, uh, if it goes that, uh, that long, the calculus begins to change yeah. for Fianna Fáil at that stage. Yeah, because the, the, the conference supply agreement lasts for three budgets, so we're two-thirds of the way through if we get to the budget next year. And at that stage, they have to start thinking about the next election. And that's when the preparations start. And the mere fact of the preparations starting creates a momentum of its own. People get antsy. People look to the constituency. This kind of juggernaut keeps going. But I think, yeah, the calculus will change for Fianna Fáil because at that stage, they will have 
seen to have been responsible. They allowed the government to be formed. They allowed two budgets through. They provided stability for a number of years. They've done the decent thing by the country as they would see it. And then I think two budgets in, that begins to change. Mm. That a safe distance is between uh, them where they will be then and the last election. And they'll probably be looking at their poll figures at that stage and deciding, is it in our interest to stay around for a last final budget or go? And bear in mind, they'll have a lot more money then because they'll have more state funding and they'll have saved for two years for an election, which is a key consideration. And, Michael, if, if Fianna Fáil is thinking about the next election at that point, then doesn't Fianna Gael know that Fianna Fáil is thinking about the election at that point? And the great horror of... Fine Gael is to be pitched into the next election with Mr. Kenny as leader. So that that begins, I think, at that stage to have implications for Mr. Kenny. Yeah, that's why uh, uh, this is the difficulty for Mr. Kenny. If he plans to go on until 2008, which I think he does, but I mean, I don't know that, but I think he does. That's the difficulty for him, because the worst nightmare for a Fine Gael TD is uh, the government collapses and Mr. Kenny is still leader. Uh, so but what happens in the meantime, Pat? You see, how do you ta- if you want to take him out, who moves first? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you none, take none of the contenders? It no, seems none of the to contenders. Me. A lot of people in Fine Gael have jobs. You know, the ministers, junior ministers. More than half the parliamentary Mo- party are ministers. Yes, exactly. Do they want to jeopardise it? And I think he's calculating uh, uh, that. Um, well, how are they going to take me out if I do stay mm-hmm. on? And, by the way, he's also living in the same house as one of the most skillful press officers that Fianna Fáil ever had, Fanula Kelly, who was press officer, um, uh, he married to Enda Kenny, uh, uh, who was press officer during the haw he heaves in Fianna Fáil and who saw how how he survived against the odds. Mm. Uh, so, from that point of view, he's, he's getting some very, very good advice. I, I think he plans to stay on my own thinking is that he plans to stay on until the summer of 2018 because Fianna Fáil, if, if the government is still you know, in place, and that's a big if, but by then Fianna Fáil will be coming up to the third budget that it pledged to support all things being equal. So Mr Kenny could, in late August or early September, decide to stand down, um, pass the baton uh, uh, to somebody else for the third critical budget that Fianna Fáil said it would support, all things being equal. That's assuming, of course, the government is still in place. And that's a big assumption. I, I, I agree, Michael, that he does want to stay on for that period of time and well into 2018. It's whether he's allowed, I think, is the question. And, you know, um, Christmas time is a great time for thinking. And there are people, I'd say... Over it's a good time Christ- for drinking. It's a good time so, for drinking, too. There's people over Christmas, I was, would be imagining... I wouldn't be surprised if certain people at the top of the party around the cabinet table were thinking about the leadership issue over Christmas and how it might be tacked. Not that they might take him out, but like when will be the correct time to do it. I think the idea of going right up to the wire as the leader and passing over the baton three months out from election is not uh, credible because it's not just the leader of the party that changes. There's an awareness within Fine Gael that the structures and the personnel and the party have been there as long as Enda Kenny has that it's not just the leader, it's the headquarters needs to change, there needs to be a sweep of how the party operates. I think that's shared amongst uh, a couple of couple of ministers. The other thing is, the people who are, there's a significant portion of the parliamentary party who don't want Andy Kenny to be leader, and I've said it publicly, about 10 of them, as far as I know. And their attitude is, we've made our noise now, nobody came out to support us, um, 
but very to they're very reluctant to do it. But would you they believe a solo run by someone. No, I wouldn't. I would. I would think that there might be some sort of you know, some sort of movement on another kind of round of grumbling or not. Perhaps not thing as form as emotion by the summer. And I think when that happens, the would-be leaders have a choice to make because if there is another round of kind of moaning about Andy Kenny and a half a move to take him out and he sees that off again, he's even safer. So I think the next time there is a move, um, the leadership contenders have to make the choice that do they, do they follow that move and express concerns about the leadership then because if they don't, they could be stuck with Andy Kenny for another year after that. Difficult to see either uh, Mr. Varadkar or Mr. Coveney though joining a heat it's, it's, given the 2010 it's, it's, it's experience. Dif- it's difficult to see and they are scared by that. Like those two uh, men lived through that week and uh, picked the wrong side and both of them after made it much ca- after much agonising and both of them didn't really pay a price because they ended up in cabinet, but they're aware of the bitterness that a contest, a heave can bring. Like Not so much a leadership contest. If someone steps down and already fashioned as a contest, that's a straight fight. If there's a heave, it's a completely different scenario. That's a lot of bad blood. It takes a wild heel. So they will be aware of that. But, um, like, you know, political history is littered with people who, who act as stalking horses for others. And, like, you know, if you see someone coming out of the woodwork within six, seven months' time, raising questions about the leadership again who is not one of the, the already uh, you know pub- th- those malcontents have spoken out publicly then you would get suspicious um, Sarah it, it sounds like from what we've said over the last uh, while that um, Michael is going to have to put up with this dreadful government uh, for some time longer it's a penance <laughs> struggle for us all really uh, yeah it looks that way I mean just to go back to, to briefly to what Fiak was saying there I, I I don't agree that Christmas time will be spent by the various leadership uh, hopefuls I, yeah, examining what's happening I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll, be, they'll next, be actively but plotting but I think that they'll be it'll be in the back of their mind they can't help themselves talking about it though any time they get together actually they talk about it quite a lot but part of Kenny's we talk about it all the time (laughs) and we talk about it all the time part of Kenny's strength you see is there's no huge criticism of him as Taoiseach I mean uh, you know do you think he's been a good Taoiseach? I think overall yes I mean politically for Fine Gael he's been hugely successful the first Fine Gael leader to get a a back-to-back, uh, um, you know, term in government. So politically, his reputation is made. And in fairness to him, he, d- he did lead a government that took over an appalling economic situation. Economically, he's been more, much more successful than Gareth Fitzgerald was. Mm. Gareth Fitzgerald had a government between 82 and 87 that was a disaster for the economy. That's a fact. But Gareth Fitzgerald's image triumphed because he was always being compared to Charles Hawhey, who had, as we know... Uh, some questions to answer on various issues. So from that point of view, Gareth had it easy. So Kenny's reputation is made politically within Fine Gael. Uh, As Taoiseach, nobody's going around saying, this this guy can't hack it as Taoiseach. What the Fine Gael TDs are saying is, of course, I don't want this guy's face on the poster at the next election. It won't help me get re-elected. I I think it's in mid-March or mid-April. Uh, of next year that Mr Kenny will become the uh, second longest serving uh, Fine Gael or Cumann and Gael uh, Taoiseach after uh, W.T. Cosgrave. If he goes on until 2019, he might beat W.T. Cosgrave's uh, legacy. I don't know if he'll be there by 2019, but certainly we'll be here uh, uh, next year, the following year and 2019. Uh, my thanks to Michael O'Regan, to Sarah Barden and to Fee Kelly for joining us uh, this morning. I'm Pat Leahy and thanks for listening to the Irish Times Politics Podcast.
Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.